0: Some of you may have a favorite team, and that's great. I know Pastor Marsha has one. She'll show it to you guys later. Uh, but, you know, what's really awesome is that uh, every time every time we get together, especially during the Super Bowl, uh, we throw a party with, with our fa- our family and our friends, and what's so awesome is that uh, uh, we have this rule. We have this rule that, okay, you got to bring something to the party, right? I mean, here in, here in Hawaii, you don't go to a potluck empty-handed. You got to bring something, even if it's a bag of chips, you know, the small kind. You know, you bring a bag of chips, and so anytime there's a party, anytime there's a party, we like you, you bring something. And so one of the rules we have whenever we do something with our family and friends is, you have to bring something. If you don't, you're you're nominated to wash dishes, right? Because everybody does something. And what's so amazing is this: every time we throw a party, every time we bring food, and it's kind of funny because we lose we, we lose sight of the food. We lose sight of everything else, and we just get lost in hanging out together and just having fun spending time with each other and You know what 's so amazing is that when we bring what we bring to the table for the Lord, we don 't have to worry about it we get to look we get to be excited and look forward to what God is going to do with it, because what he does with it far greater than you and I could ever imagine. Now you might be visiting us for the very first time. And if that's you, we we ask that you don't feel obligated to give. In fact, receive this service to help you in your walk with the Lord. Or maybe you're visiting us from another church and we want to encourage you to continue to get continue to give wherever you regularly attend church services. But if New Hope Church is where you call home, would you know that as you bring your tithe and offering to the Lord's table, what he's going to do with it is far greater than you and I could ever expect. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray for our tithes and offerings this morning. Lord, we, we just come before you right now, Lord, and Lord, we thank you so much for all the things that you're doing, Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much for, for being the God that you are. You're a God, Lord, that, that does, does things that, you, that we can't even imagine, we can't even fathom. And so, Lord, this morning, as we bring our tithes and offerings to your table, Lord, as we, as we give it to you, Lord, we trust knowing that you're going to do something great, far beyond our imagination, Because everything you do, Lord, is to reach your people. To those who have no hope, that you would bring them hope. To those who have no faith, that you would build up their faith. And to those who don't know love, that, Lord, they would know you and that they would know your love. And so, Lord, we thank you so much. And as we give this morning, I pray, Lord, that you bless the hearts of those who give and let them know that what they're doing right now has eternal reward. Because everything you do, Lord... It's for a great purpose. So, Lord, we continuously look forward to what you're going to continue to do in the lives of your people. We love you, Lord, and we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, I'm here at our resource center where we have different types of books and uh, cards and things that will help us to strengthen our walk with the Lord. It's located in the fellowship hall, and because I'm here, I wanted to ask people some questions regarding this one word that we'll be talking about today. And that word is discernment. When I was growing up, I did not have discernment. In fact, I used terms like, you gotta follow your heart, or follow your gut instinct. Well, I wanna ask some people if they, when they grew up, did some things that, when they look back on it now, were pretty dumb. Let's go. Okay, so I'm here at the well, and I'm here with Rose, and I wanna know, Rose, did you do something when you were growing up that you look back at, and it was like, dumb?
0: Yes. Of course. Um, you just want one story? Just one story. Just one story. Okay. So, um, I would see my dad shaving in the bathroom all the time and I, w- I seen his razor and I was like, oh, that looks like fun. So, I just shaved just one no. eyebrow. Just one brow. <laughs> just the whole thing and then that's how I got bangs. From
1: oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you used it to cover it?
0: Yeah, Used it to cover it, but I look back at it now, one eyebrow is not the way to go.
1: Right. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> you. I'm here with my friend, Jonathan Miyasato. And so, Jonathan, we're, we're, we're learning this new word today, or what the Bible means when it says this word, discernment.
0: Certain. When
1: you're growing up, have you ever done something that you look back on, and you didn't have discernment, and you say, today, boy, that was dumb.
0: I have a, I have a whole story book <laughs> of those.
1: Give me, give me one. Just one. one. One that you look back and you say, what was I thinking?
0: well in college um this is not kid time but in college yeah. uh, it was like 30 degrees out and snowing in colorado so i thought it might be a good idea to make a hibachi steak but it was not very discerning of me to actually cook the steak and the hibachi within the dorm room <laughs> <laughs> fire department in colorado came got kicked out of the dorms so that was not very discerning that wasn't very discerning yeah don't cook, don't
1: barbecue in your, in your dorm. Yeah, there's some <laughs> law against that, I don't know. <laughs> it probably came out after that. Yeah, and my okay. dad's
0: a fireman too, so Oh my goodness. That's
1: See, that's what happened, so <laughs> thank you for sharing. Yeah. So the other day, I was telling, you, we were talking about the, the dumb things that we did, and uh, when I was growing up, my, my cousin, who was maybe, I think we were like 9 or 10 years old, there was this truck that was under a mango tree, and we had a, my, my grandmother had a Doberman Pinscher underneath the truck, and we'd, we'd mess around with the dog, we'd throw rocks at it, and it would always come out, Rah! And it could only go so far. So the deal was, who could run up to the dog as close as possible, and then when the dog would chase you, run away, and he couldn't get you. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. So my, my cousin got caught by his leg, and the dog dragged him under the truck, and we're, we're all laughing. Now my cousin is screaming, help! And we're like, we can't help you! And we're cracking up laughing because, he's under the truck and the dog is just rrr, rrr. and my cousin's leg is so skinny that he's, he, the dog's mouth was around his thigh and he had some holes after, you know he, we got him out we dragged him out but <laughs> that wasn't a wise decision that was not discerning so <laughs> he's alive and well today um, but you had almost a similar story
0: very similar
1: I <laughs> was kind of close we
0: grew up playing in the
1: bushes and uh, there was this very very large bull. Yeah. who was chained to a tree, and so my friends <laughs> and I decided to go get a blow dart gun <laughs> and tease the bull a little, you know, and then the challenge was much similar to yours, yeah. stand as close to the end of his chain yeah. as he charged for you Brilliant, and hope he didn't break the chain. <laughs> so we're still here, so he, he never broke the chain. Now was that wise uh, or unwise? Well, the wisdom was as far as the chain could go. Right, we were wise That's brilliant. to stand outside yeah. the chain, but looking back, I would the say discernment was a little lacking in discernment. Yeah. So we all have something that we've done. We all have stories that have taken place in our life and things that we've done that were not the best decision. In fact, today as we learn about this word discernment, you might want to know how can I increase my discernment? How can I build my skills in making wiser decisions? Well here at the Resource Center we have various resources that will help you. We have our Right Now Media which is like the Netflix of videos to help you in your growth with the Lord. There are various conferences and Bible content or Bible study content that can help you with your walk. Also we have our Version, where it's our uh, devotional setup or system that will help you in your devotional time with God. It follows a format where you read through the entire Bible in one year. So come by the Resource Center. It'll help you in your walk with the Lord. And this morning, Pastor Marcia Krieger is going to share with us about this one word, discernment. So would you welcome up with me Pastor Marcia Krieger as she comes and shares.
2: Well, good morning. Now, I know that every one of you were listening to that and you were thinking about your stories of all the non-discerning things you did when you were a kid, right? So when I was young, we lived in Lemoore, California, and it was hot. Like, I told my kids, if you want to know what hell is like, you go live in Lemoore. It was hot. So one day, I was outside playing with my friends, and it was, it was hot, and I was thirsty, and I ran into the kitchen to get a drink. And I was trying to get the ice, but you know we had the, remember the ice cube trays. You got to break them and all that, and I was having a hard time. And I was so hot, I sucked my tongue out, and I licked the freezer. Praise God I'm here today with the tongue so I can talk. <laughs> but we all need to practice discernment, right? We need to think about it and what you think through things. You know, I, I, we all have phones, text messages and all that. Um, have you ever, when you're looking at your phone and you get a bunch of letters and you're like, what, is, what does that mean? There's these letters on my phone. I was reading Facebook one day and somebody wrote, where is everybody? I'm sitting in an empty theater, ATM. So I'm thinking, wow, when did they put an ATM machine in the theater? That is brilliant! Because when I go to the theater with my grandkids, I gotta stand in line, buy all the snacks, and there's like a bunch of them, so then we gotta get in and find a seat together. So this is so brilliant, they have an ATM machine in the theater. And then I realized that's not what the person was saying. ATM at the moment. You've done that, like you're reading, you're, I, don't, I don't understand. Or I'm with my husband who takes great f- um, pictures, and he starts talking to other photographers, and they're talking, and all of a sudden they start throwing out words like ISO, um, uh, aperture, uh, whatever. I, and I'm like, what, 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 what are you talking about? And I just pick up my phone, and I start playing Scrabble, because I'm lost. I have no idea what they're doing. Well, we're in a series called What Do You Mean? And believe it or not, that there are people who talk to us that feel as lost in their conversations with us as we do when we see weird letters on our phones or talk with people who have hobbies and interests that we have no understanding of. You know, we use words like hallelujah. We use words like tithing, devotions, and all that. And people are like, what? What do they mean? What are they talking about? Well, today we're going to talk about another word, discernment. And when we're trying to make decisions, we'll say things like, follow your gut, follow your heart, or if you're a Christian, I really need to discern what the Lord wants me to do. But really, what is discernment? The dictionary defines discernment as the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. It's a skill in discerning, an act of perceiving or discerning something. That's what the dis- The dictionary describes discernment as. Last weekend, my granddaughters were playing volleyball. And so my husband and I decided, let's go watch them. So it was a tournament, which meant it was all day. So by the time we get there, I walk in. I see my granddaughters are on the um, court and they're playing and all that. And I'm walking in, I'm watching them. And I see my 8-year-old grandson. So I go and sit next to him and I can already tell he's over it. (laughs) I'm done. I've been here. I'm sitting down and I'm into the game and he's like, ah. and I'm watching the game and he goes, oh, it's so hot in here. And I keep watching the game. Grandma, are you going home after this? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm going home. I said, "Yeah." Watching the game. Oh, this is so boring. Game ends and I'm looking at my son because I've never been to a volleyball tournament and I'm like, so what do we do after this? I mean, is there another you know, game? What's going on? And Josh says, well, the game, there's another game at 4.30, and I think, okay, I'm going to go home. And then Kanoa says, is Michael home? So I knew exactly what he was doing. This is not rocket science. He'd been told by his parents, don't ask grandma and grandpa if you can go home with them. They did not tell him that he couldn't hint. So he was hinting. It did not take a whole lot of discernment to figure out the kid wanted to leave. Well, that's what discernment is. It's like being able to read people, to read um, their faces, their language, their body, all of that. That takes what we call discernment. Do you remember a long time ago? they used to wear these bracelets, what would Jesus do, WWJD? And you'd see it and it's supposed to like, okay, before I do something, I got to ask myself, what would Jesus do? In this moment, when this person is in my face, what would Jesus do? Well, that's what discernment is without the bracelet. Author and pastor John MacArthur defines discernment as the ability to decide between right and wrong, between truth and error. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with the ability to think biblically in its simplest form. Discernment is the ability to think biblically. Now the world will tell you, just follow your heart. Follow your gut instinct. Well, let me tell you the problem with your gut instinct. Sometimes your gut instinct is the kimchi chicken you ate last night. And all you gotta do is burp or something else, and you're done. And if we follow that gut instinct, then we're going around in circles, not moving forward, not doing anything, until the next time we eat something equally gassy or upsetting to our stomach. Or they say, follow your heart. Well, the thing with our heart is that our heart does not love the same thing all the time. I love the 49ers. Check my shoes out. I love the 49ers. However, the last two years maybe, that loving feeling has been kind of eh, we'll see. We'll find out today. I love searching books until I see the next one. I have a favorite movie. It was Star Wars. But then The Goonies came out. And then after The Goonies, there came Jumanji. And after Jumanji, mama, you get it, right? Our heart loves different things. There are times I love to work out, and other times I, oh, I'd have to convince myself that I need to work out. Our hearts are extremely fickle. In fact, the Bible describes the heart as deceitful and desperately wicked. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if we can't know our hearts, then how can we follow it? See, our hearts... And our gut instincts are inconsistent. They're not trustworthy. They cannot be followed, nor can they help us discern what our next steps is. However, if we will do three things, each one of us will be able to use discernment and make decisions that honor and bring, kingdom to, bring honor to the kingdom of God. We will be discerning. After all, discernment, in its very simplest form, is being able to think biblically. And the first thing we need to do, and which really makes sense to think in biblically, and you can write this in, is measure to the Bible. See, we need a standard that's just, honest, and consistent. It's a standard that is unchanging, steady, and will not shift, and we have that right here. Do you know that the Bible is not just one book? There are 66 different books written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different writers who were inspired by God. And even though 40 different writers were involved um, in writing this book, and even though it took over 1,500 years because there is one voice inspiring 40 writers over the course of 1,500 years, this Bible is unified in everything that it says. There's one context to it. 40 writers, 1,500 years. I say we have something that is steady and consistent that we can rely on. Throughout history, people have recognized that the Bible is unchanging, honest, consistent, and just. Sir Isaac Newton. He said, there are more sure marks for authenticity in the Bible than any in profane history. Napoleon Bonaparte. He says, the Bible is no mere book, but a living creature with a power that conquers all that oppose it. In the updated book, What on Earth Am I Here For? Rick Warren wrote, the Bible must become the authoritative standard for my life, the compass I rely on for direction, the counsel I listen to for making wise decisions, and the benchmark I use for evaluating everything. The Bible must always have the first and last word in my life. Many of our troubles occur because we base our choices on unreliable authorities. Culture, everybody's doing it. Tradition, we've always done it. Reason, well, it made sense. Or emotion, uh, it just felt right. And all of these are flawed by the fall. What we need is a perfect standard that will never lead us in the wrong direction. Now, if we travel back to the Garden of Eden to the very moment that Adam and Eve reached out and they took that fruit and they bit into it, every tool that we would use to, for making decisions, every idea that we had would be tempered by our own desires, our own selfishness, our limitations, and our judgment were fallible. We make mistakes, but the Bible is not. The writer of Hebrews said of Scripture, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible gives us instruction, wisdom and knowledge. And it gives us what we need to make decisions that will move our lives in the direction that we need to move. Now, one thing you hear us say over and over and over here at New Hope Church is that we need to be reading our Bible daily and doing devotions. In fact, we believe in that so much that a few weeks ago, Pastor Sheldon spent a whole message speaking about the value of devotions and how to do them. Now, if you missed the message, And you want to learn more about devotions, if you look on your notes, we actually included the links. You can either watch the whole message, or there's a shorter link where he talks about how to do devotions. We also have this book available at the Resource Center, um, which tells the whys and hows of devotions. But in this book, Pastor Wayne Cordero writes a story that happened to him. And he says here, None of us are immune to momentary drifts from wise decision-making. Several years ago, when I was feeling tired and weary, temptation availed itself with the perfect alibi. I'd completed an engagement early and had a free night in a hotel near the airport. I was unaware that this particular area was well known for prostitution. I asked the maitre d' for a table for one. I was no sooner seated than a strikingly beautiful woman sat across from me. Are you satisfied with this hotel? she asked. I assumed she was a hotel representative surveying the customers. Why, absolutely, I replied, this is a beautiful hotel. And the rooms, are they to your satisfaction? Oh, yes, I said naively, the beds are so comfy. Well, I'm here to offer you elite services, she continued, reserved only for gentlemen. Now, I must be pretty dim. I still didn't catch on. Services, I asked and, yes, escort services that will make your stay a memorable one. And it finally clicked, and my light went from dim to bright. She was working all right, but not as a surveyor. And immediately, an inner voice interrupted. No one would know, cajoled the passing ruse. You're in a strange hotel in a strange part of the country. and You deserve a break today. Now, it may have been an, illus- it may have been an illusion, But I thought, I saw out of the corner of my eye, Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. And when he passed me, he yelled, you'd better follow me, Cordero, and follow me now. (laughs) Excuse me, I said. I forgot something in my room, and I ran to catch Joseph. And when I got to the room, I bolted the door, and to this day, I'm so glad that I did. Where do these parameters come from? Where do you get them? From men and women who have um, been there before you. He went on to say that the wisdom to recognize the voice and get out of that situation, get this, he said was incorporated into his soul as he read his devotions every day. Now, I don't know about you, I need that type of wisdom, and I need that discernment to help me avoid the pitfalls and temptations that I encounter every day. How many of you agree with that? Now, if we want to have God's word, his wisdom, and ways incorporated into our souls, then we need to spend time with him. We have to be in his presence in order to see, hear, and recognize his voice. Now, in the time of Jeremiah the prophet, the people were rebelling against God and his ways. They were rejecting the words and correction that God was sending them through Jeremiah And instead, they were listening to the voices of other prophets who were tickling their ears and telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. So Jeremiah confronted them, and he says, Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he's really saying? Has even one of them cared enough to listen? Basically, what he was saying is, You can't hear the voice of God if you're not in his presence. You can't be directed by God if you can't hear his voice. And to hear his voice, you need to be in his presence. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. We have a promise. And if we pull close to God, he will direct us. We will hear his voice. And he will give us discernment. But we need to spend so much time in his presence that we're able to recognize his voice. We need to be that familiar with it. Last week, besides going to volleyball, I also went to my grandson's football game. Now, they're on the field, we're in the stands. And as long as Micah was on this side, I could see him because I could see his numbers. But when he went to the other side, I couldn't see. Like, I couldn't see the number, and I couldn't really see, and I'm squinting. But there's a way that my grandson stands, and a certain way he nods his head. So even in that sea of helmets, I would see that little nod, and i go, oh, that's where Micah is. And I could watch what he was doing. I could watch the game. Now, that familiarity comes, because that's my grandson. I spend time with him all the time. I know the way he walks. I know the way he kind of nods his head. When we spend time with God, we have that familiarity with his voice. We'll hear all the voices saying, walk this way. Our gut instinct, or kimchi chicken saying this, our heart saying that. But if we're familiar with the voice of God, we'll hear his voice saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Now, not only will we become familiar with the voice of God when we do devotions, but then we'll become familiar with his character so that we can think more biblically. And we need to know his character. And that's the second thing you can write in. Measure to God's character. And the reason you want to balance out measure to God's word and measure to God's character is we all know people who use the Bible. And that's all they use. We all know them. But we need to measure to the character of God. Because when we know God and we know his character... We can make the right decisions. Many, many years ago, I was visiting in Colorado. And it was cold. It was nippy. It was, it was cold. And we had some downtime. So my friend and I, we went um, into the store. And like we're like freezing. But everybody there is like, they're just wearing regular clothes. And we're bundled, like going up to Mauna Kea, kind of bundled. And so she says, well, where are you guys from? We said, oh, we're from Hawaii. She goes, oh, Hawaii. I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. She goes, man, it must be so nice there. It's always sunny. I bet you guys live at the beach. I bet you swim and you surf all day. And I'm like, well, first off, we live in Hilo. It it rains a lot. Second off, I can't swim, so no surfing for me. Third off, we have jobs, eight hours a day. We need to work. Then you got to clean. No, I didn't say all that. I thought it. I wasn't that sarcastic. But isn't that true, like people have misconceptions and they base their ideas on these misconceptions. And sometimes I see people, they get mad about that. Hey, you know, we want state too, you know. Oh, you know, we get one real life here. But we do these misconceptions. And guess what, we're just as guilty. I remember meeting somebody from um, Alaska and I was dumb and I said, oh, what's it like to be cold all the time? <laughs> Same mistake, just in reverse. How many times have you walked up to a woman and said, hey, so cute, what did you do? And she's not pregnant, right? Or, oh, what grade is your daughter in? Oh, that's my sister, right? Right, We all have misconceptions. We make mistakes based on those misconceptions. When I was little, I was growing up, this is my picture of God when I was little. He was this white-haired, wild white haired guy with glasses, sat up in heaven, kind of had a table like this with this big black book, black flowing robes, and every time I did something wrong, he wrote it down. Every single time I did something wrong. My perception of God was one of fear. I was terrified of him. I was terrified to do things because man, if I did something wrong, and that ink was indelible it wasn't going to be erased for all eternity god would see everything i did wrong and because i had that picture of god growing up my response to god was incorrect it was based on fear it was based on like man if i don't do this i'm going to end up not in the right place now the disciples were just as capable of misjudging the character of god They'd been following Jesus for some time. They'd witnessed his miracles, his teaching, his authority, and they experienced his power. They had just spent an entire day with him, listening to him teach the people. They had witnessed his power and everything that he could do. I can't see this. So I'm going to read from here. And he's, at the end of the day, he says to them, let's go to the other side. And so they get into this boat and they're sailing across the lake and all of a sudden the storm rips up and the boat's rocking and the water's coming in and they're looking at Jesus and he's asleep and they're terrified and here's what happened. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let's cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, They took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And then he arose, and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. See, as the storm arose and things began to look grim for the disciples, they lost their perspective. They forgot everything they had just witnessed, everything they had just experienced. And they looked at Jesus and said, he doesn't care. And fear took over. And because they gave in and they allowed fear to dictate their perspective, they had the wrong idea about Jesus, and they felt he didn't care. Now, we make the same mistakes. We view Jesus through our perspective, through our perspectives and circumstances and our storms. We forget his character, and then we make wrong judgments, and we make wrong decisions, and then we doubt. We doubt that he cares for us. We doubt that he loves us. We doubt that he can do it. But what we need to do is look at God's character and not our situation. In his book, Whisper, Mark Batterson wrote, all our identity issues are fundamental misunderstandings of who God is. Guilt issues are a misunderstanding of God's grace. Control issues are a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty. Anger issues are a misunderstanding of God's mercy. Pride issues are a misunderstanding of God's greatness. And trust issues are a misunderstanding of God's goodness. And I'd venture to say that not only are our identity issues a misunderstanding of who God is, but some of our decisions and our responses to God are birthed in a misunderstanding of his character. See, we need to have a whole and correct view of God in order to make wise and um, just decisions. If we're going to think biblically, if we're going to be discerning, we need to see God for who he really is. And Jesus understood just how important it was for the disciples to understand the truth of his character. One day he questioned them and he he wanted to see what they thought. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he hones in but what about you? Who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, because the people didn't fully understand Jesus' character or his identity, they were easily swayed in their allegiance. They thought he was another prophet. Somehow, maybe one of the Old Testament prophets had come back. But without a clear understanding of Jesus' character and identity, some of the very same people who were following Jesus and watching his miracles would in a few days be the very same people calling out for his crucifixion because they didn't have a clear understanding of God's character. And Jesus knew what was coming up for his disciples. And he knew that in order for them to be able to stand strong, they needed to know who he is. They would have to trust his character and his identity because in the coming months and years, they would make the hardest decision in their lives. After Jesus' death and resurrection, and as the young church grew, those disciples who followed Jesus closely were martyred for their faith. And the decisions they made to stand strong And the only disciple who did not get martyred was John, and he was exiled on the island of Patmos. But their ability to make those tough choices were closely tied to their knowledge and faith in the identity and the character of Jesus. They knew that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And just as the disciples needed to remember who Jesus is in order to make their very tough decisions, we too must measure back to God's character as it's revealed through the Bible for the decisions and the choices that we face every single day. When we're faced with hard decisions, we need to be able to think biblically. That's why, again, over and over, we say it. Do your devotions, do your devotions. It's only as we read the Bible that we become familiar with God's voice and his character. Jesus himself, speaking of Scripture... He said, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. The entire Bible points to Jesus. And it's through reading the Bible and doing our devotions that we get to know his character. That's so important that you read your Bible. And as you're reading, mark it up, write in it. In my Bible, if there's a promise that I see, I'll write the date. If I see something, I want to pray that for my kids or grandkids. I actually write their names next to it, and I write the date. Someday when I die, they're going to see their names next to these scriptures. But when I read through my Bible, I come across these dates that I wrote. I come across these promises I highlighted. I come across my grandchildren's name, my children's name. It reminds me of God's faithfulness. It reminds me of his character. It reminds me that I can rely on his promises. I'm going to give you a few scriptures. Write these down. Because some of you are like, I don't know where to start. Let me give you some scriptures. Psalm 34, 8, God is good. Hebrews 13, 8, God is unchanging. 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient. Malachi 3, 6, God does not change. Psalm 33, 6, God is all-powerful. Isaiah 46, 9, God is all-knowing. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, God is everywhere. 2 Timothy 2, 13, God is faithful. Deuteronomy 32, 4, God is just. Romans 9, 15 and 16, God is merciful. There's just a few scriptures that define the character of God, but start there. As you begin to read and recognize and know his character, You'll be able to make decisions based on the Word of God, coupled with the character of God, and you're going to make biblical choices and decisions. And the final thing that you have to do, write this down, differentiate between common and holy. Now, how many of you have heard, or worse yet, you've said, but everybody's doing it? That was my go-to argument when I was a kid. If I wanted to do something, if I wanted to wear the latest fashion, Looking back, bad idea, but if I wanted to do that, you know what I'd always say, Oh, but everybody else is doing it. Why can't I? And I know you know the answer because every parent has always said it. If your friends jumped off the roof, you gonna follow? See, we wouldn't. But somehow we think that what everybody's doing justifies our actions. But everybody's doing it does not make it right it just makes it common. It's common to fudge on your taxes. It's common to work under the table. It's common to compromise our morals. It's common to dishonor and mock others. See, common is not always right or wise. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people were instructed to know the difference between common and holy so they could teach others it says you must distinguish between the holy and the common and the clean and the unclean and teach the israelites all the statutes that the lord has given them through moses that was a call for the, all of israel they weren't supposed to blend in t- to culture they were supposed to be holy not common and if we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, then we're called to live differently than everybody else. We cannot be satisfied with what everybody else is satisfied with. We must be willing to be different. And sometimes we have to be willing to make biblical choices. When we settle for what everyone settles for, when we settle for what's common, it starts to separate us from God. I love it. The message says it this way. It's First John two fifteen sixteen. 16. It says, do not love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. See, when we start doing things our way, we start responding the way everybody else does. When we're common, we start to move away from God. You know, last week, uh, well, not last week, a couple weeks ago, before Hector, we were actually at a football game, and it was pouring. So we're sitting, and we have our umbrella out, and then the rain would stop, so you put the umbrella down, up, down, up, down. So my daughter went to go get water, and there's some seats next to me, and this couple came up, and they said, anyone sitting there? I said, well, my daughter's sitting there. They said, okay, and they sat. And I, All right, well, right, we'll see what happens. So they're sitting there. My daughter comes. She sits down, and everything's okay until it starts raining, and she opens up the umbrella. And then pretty soon, I see her sit down, and she goes down one level. So I scooted down, and I said, well, how come you moved? And she says, well, I opened up my umbrella, and they started to get wet. And then I became very common. I said, well, I told them you were sitting there. They couldn't figure out there was going to be an umbrella. They're going to get wet. That was their fault. Why, you got to move. You was there first. And then my daughter said, sure thing, Pastor Marsha. (laughs) I was just doing what you told me, and I was treating people the way maybe I want to be treated. We can't be common. And God was so faithful to me, because my response to the situation was very worldly. It was common and it was wrong. But God is so faithful that when I was settling for common, when I was looking like the world, He spoke to me through the voice of my daughter. See, we're called to be different. We're called to be uncommon. We're called to honor others, even if we don't think they deserve it. We're called to be holy. And here's the good news God will lead us, He'll teach us to be different, He'll teach us to be holy. All we have to do is ask. The writer of Psalm 119 asked God to teach him to have good judgment and discernment. He said, teach me good judgment and discernment for I rely on your commands. And we can and we should ask for the same thing. Ask God to give you good judgment and discernment. He'll teach you to think biblically. But we have to do our part. We need to read our Bibles and do devotions so we'll know how to measure to the Bible, so that we can measure to God's character, so that we can tell the difference between common and holy. And if we ask God to teach us, He will teach us to be discerning. You can put away your Bibles in your notes. I wanna close with this quote from the book, Whisper, by, John, um, by Mark Batterson. And he says this, he says, we don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us. The Spirit who inspired the ancient writers as they wrote is the same Spirit who inspires modern-day readers as they read. The Holy Spirit is on both sides of the equation. The Apostle Paul describes Scripture as God breathed and when we read Scripture we're inhaling what the Holy Spirit exhaled thousands of years ago. We're hearing the whisper of God in breath tones. I want that. I want to hear the whisper of God in breath tones. And because I hear that whisper, I want to have the courage and the wisdom, the boldness to be discerning and to live biblically. You agreed? All right. Well, we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. And I just want to encourage you That over this next week, do that. Try to measure measure your decisions by what you read in the Bible, by what you know of the character of God. And when you do that, you're gonna know, start to notice that on your own, you know the difference between common and holy, because it's not you breathing it, it's God breathes. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your word, which is alive and active. Thank you that you call us to live biblical lives, to make wise decisions, to know you, and to know the way in which you want us to walk. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that as we leave these doors, that we leave just a little bit changed, not by a message that was spoke up here, but by the coming alive in our spirits of your spirit. So Lord God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, and everyone says, Amen.